Welcome to the Making Money in the Music Business podcast, where we share insightful views on a variety of topics in the music industry that can help you make more money from your music business. And now, here are your hosts, Dr. William E. Smith and Kenya McGuire Johnson. We are back with our podcast, and today I'll be doing another solo episode. And uh, we'll have Kenya back with us uh, next week. But in today's podcast, we have a great interview with uh, publicist uh, Fiona Bloom. And she was actually the uh, publicist for our last guest, uh, Raul Medon. And um, yeah, we just uh, brought her on as well. So we'll be having that interview coming up next. But uh, I want to give us our music tip for today. And basically, the music tip for today is to recreate your favorite song. And it's a, it's a learning technique that a lot of people use. I use it. Um, it's a, basically a way of studying the masters, studying those who've gone before, who have had success. And by recreating your favorite song, you're going to learn a whole lot about what makes uh, a song a hit. You're going to learn the chord changes. You're going to learn what rhythms, what instruments really make up a song that's that's going to be a success. And uh, and also, if you take that track, or if you even if you just learn the chord changes and, and record it and play it back, um, if you write your own lyrics to that song or that that version that you're doing, uh, it's going to teach you a lot about learning how to develop an idea and learning how to develop a story. So take um, take that exercise actually in the, in this this time period that we you know we're all in our own pl- in our own domiciles. You can just take some time to to go through songs that you really enjoy and really like, and and learn what makes them a success, and then build on that information. Take your notes, uh, you know, study it, and that's how you can basically learn how to be a, a great songwriter and, and a great producer. It's just learning what people have done before. Today's podcast is brought to you by Bandzoogle. From garage bands to Grammy winners, Bandzoogle powers the websites for thousands of musicians around the world. Their simple step-by-step system will get you online literally in minutes. You can choose from dozens of mobile-friendly templates, then customize your design and content in just a few clicks. Built for musicians by musicians, Banzoogle has all of the features you need for your website and EPK already built in. This includes tools to sell music and merch commission-free right on your website, stream your music with flexible options for music downloads, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send professional newsletters, integrations to pull in content from your online services, including YouTube, Twitter, and SoundCloud, and live support from their musician-friendly team. Not one, not two, but seven days a week. Banzoogle plans start at just $8.29 per month. Yep, that's what I said, just $8.29 per month. And includes your own free custom domain name. Gotta love that. Go to banzoogle.com to try it for free for 30 days. And be sure to use our promo code, MAKINGMONEYPOD, to get 15% off the first year of your subscription. That's again, Making Money Pod to get 15% off the first year. 
All right, and this is our podcast for today. Uh, Kenya will be uh, back next week. She had some other stuff happening. But uh, we have with us today um, a very uh, important person in the in the music industry side of things, a publicist. And uh, we have uh, a, a great person to talk to about um, that role and that um, activity that goes on in the music industry. Um Miss Fiona Bloom. Hey, Fiona. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me <laughs> on the show today. <laughs> it's it's a pleasure. Yeah, Ken, Kenya um, uh, put you on our schedule, and uh, this is my first time meeting you, so it's great to to talk to you and, and uh, meet you today. But um, we usually like to uh, let our guests uh, talk to us and tell them about t- tell us about themselves and tell our audience um, how they got started in their, their line of work and their, their career. But uh, if you could do that, just give us a, a, just a backstory on how you got started. Absolutely. Sure. So once again, my name is Fiona Bloom and uh, I have a uh, one-stop shop marketing PR agency called the Bloom Effect right out of Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. And um, right. I've had this company about eight years and uh, really my, my uh, career is a very, long sort of uh, wide span, about 30 years, I believe now. I started out uh, mm. originally from London, England as a concert pianist, a musician, classically trained concert pianist and violinist. Started mm. at the tender age of four. So you can see that music is truly in my blood and in my DNA. Um, it's really right. all I've ever done and all I've ever known my whole entire life. Um, so I was playing the piano violin. I went to uh, university on a full scholarship, ended up in America at a place called the Philadelphia College of Performing Arts. And um, I was playing with symphony orchestras, doing masterclasses, all kinds of things. And, you know, one day at about 21, 22, I had an epiphany that um, I wasn't really going to make it as a concert pianist. I didn't really want to teach. Mm. I wanted to be a recording artist. My dream was to sign with a company like Columbia Classics or Polydor um, or Sony Classics. And I I realized at the time, you know, the competition was so fierce and you had to be absolutely excellent or genius level. Mm -hmm. And although I was quite good, very good, I wasn't really winning competitions. I was always coming in second or third. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, at 21, I realized I don't think this is the career that I'm really meant to have. Um, and I thank God that I actually realized that early on because uh, had right. I woken up and realized at 30 that I'm not really going to make a living <laughs> at this, it would have been a little harder to sort of bounce back and figure out what I'm doing next. So I took a couple of years off uh, when I was 21. I traveled around the world. I ended up uh, living in, in the Middle East for a while, uh, worked on a kibbutz. And mm. from my uh, dealings, picking grapes and apples and cleaning, you know, toilets at the hotels and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I realized that uh, there's a whole world out there that I didn't know. And I started listening to Middle Eastern music and hip hop and beats and DJs. And I just got really excited about a whole new world of music that I was never accustomed to before because I grew up as a, you know, when you're living the classical life, really all I was accustomed to was Chopin and Beethoven and, Handel and Stravinsky mm-hmm. and, you know, Prokofiev, Rachmaninoff, you know, all those names. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I didn't realize that, uh, you know, not just pop culture, but everything outside of, of classical existed. So it was almost like me 
starting from scratch and being like a kid in a candy store, wanting to know everything and, and everything I could about music in general outside of classical music. So I stayed in Israel for a couple of years. I traveled to other Middle Eastern countries, made tons of friends, uh, started ending up promoting and booking a small little nightclub in Jerusalem. And I uh, was just booking DJs there. So by the time I was 23, my parents had actually moved to Atlanta, Georgia from London. And uh, I had the chance of either going back to London to sort of study and figure out what I was going to do there on my own or come back right. to live with my parents or just get my feet back on the ground, <clears throat> maybe go back to school and study something different and just get to America, which I'd always wanted to do anyway. So I came right. to Atlanta, enrolled at Georgia State University and basically picked uh, speech communications as a degree because I knew I wasn't going to be back in music. And I didn't really know what else to do because I hadn't studied anything else in school. I didn't study math or science or business or right, languages. Right. You know, all I did was music and theater. That was it. My whole career, my whole education was, was music and theater growing up. So I took speech communications and I happened upon uh, uh, the college radio there, which was one of the most uh, influential radio stations in the country, WRAS 88.5 FM. And I walked mm -hmm. in. And uh, ended up getting a DJ gig, uh, doing overnights there, and then ended up having a show, my own show, uh, programming a jazz show there, afternoon jazz show called All That Jazz, and just became very wildly popular with uh, the DJ thing. And I love being a radio personality. And even though it was college radio, it sort of had a, a powerful uh, level for me to reach people because it was 100,000 watts. So people from outside of uh, Georgia State and Atlanta and Savannah mm -hmm. and Macon were all listening in. They could tune into the radio. So I ended up being recruited to commercial radio, uh, Star 94, where I became a late night DJ there and also assistant music director at that radio station. And whilst I was doing the radio thing, which I was loving, I was also promoting parties. So I quickly mm -hmm. became like this popular radio personality and party promoter in Atlanta. And it was all during the early 90s when the Face Records was just starting out. And, right, um, right. you know, some of these producers were just kind of coming up in Atlanta. And it was really very early on in the scene there, way before the thing that exploded now where trap music became so big and bounce and mm -hmm. rap and, you know, R&B soul. Like, it, you know, now it's huge. But back in the early 90s, Atlanta was barely a speck on the map. It was really the industry was New York. And L.A., and that's it. Mm -hmm. There wasn't Atlanta. So I was kind of on the cusp of that whole new wave. So it was a very exciting time to be there because I was kind of like one of the instigators of that whole scene blowing up um, because of my wildly popular show and because also of me promoting parties. So promoting parties, I had everybody from Dallas Austin and L.A. Reed and, you know, the mayor of Atlanta and Arrested Development, mm -hmm. Outcast, like all these artists and Little John, they were all coming to mm. my parties. They were all coming to my parties and all doing my show. <laughs> so I guess I fast became, you know, a pretty well-known, popular radio personality. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It was very, very cool. Anyway, I feel like this is very long-winded because there's so much in my career that I could talk about. No, that's that's but fine. I, we, it's it's great. But I ended up yeah. getting discovered by the president of EMI Records, Chrysalis EMI. He came down okay. to Atlanta quite a bit because he had signed Arrested Development. He had signed Follow For Now. He had signed Dallas Austin. He was signing Joy, another, another uh, R&B singer. And he had a lot of business in Atlanta. So he 
okay. happened to see me work the room in a club one night and he came up to me and basically said, hey, I love how you move. I love how you operate. I love your charisma, love your energy. How would you like to work in New York for us, for, for my record company? And I was so naive at the time. I didn't even realize I was about 25 years old. I didn't even realize, I didn't even know about record companies. I was so in about the music and the artist and the, you know, um, you know, the producers and, and the different DJs that I didn't really know. I didn't really study, oh, Arista and, you know, Warner Brothers. Right, and, right. You know, CBS and Sony. Like the only ones that I really knew about are the ones that I really wanted to be signed on as a classical, you know, musician, classical recording artist. Yep. So um, when he said, yeah, Chrysalis EMI, I was like, uh, okay, I'm not really knowledgeable about that label. Tell me more. He really appreciated that. He was like, wow, you really, mm. he was like, you really are wet behind the ears. But he kind of loved that naivety <laughs> at the same time because he thought it was really fresh. And I didn't really right, have, right. Um, it was like a clean slate. Like come to New York, we'll train you kind of thing. Like we just love your charisma. You know, you're obviously really knowledgeable in the music. The people really respect you and trust you and you're easy to talk to. And, uh, you know, you're so personable that why not? I think you'd be great doing marketing for Chrysalis. So I thought, yeah, this is amazing. Absolutely. So I ended up coming out to New York, working for Chrysalis, uh, you know, SBK Chrysalis uh, in 1994. I was so uh, in the deep end because I didn't know what I was doing. It was my first record gig. Um, and there was no, there was no training. They basically literally threw me into the sharks and, um, I was <laughs> swimming upstream, catching my breath, trying to get help, trying to get answers. And nobody would really help me at the time. They just saw me as how did this new girl, like with no industry background whatsoever, get this gig? Like they were like, how did this DJ party promoter from Atlanta with a couple of years in the business, get this right, gig, right. the national marketing person in New York for a major label. It was kind of a fluke. It really was. Mm -hmm. And being the fluke that it was, it was very short-lived. Ended up lasting about a year. So okay. uh, they basically dissolved my position. They ended up um, getting rid of uh, that label anyway. The label had actually became defunct a couple of years later. So they, they dissolved my position. They got rid of my, you know, the marketing department. Um, and I was kind of out, of out on a limb trying to figure out, okay, well, what do I do next? And the year that I had in marketing, I definitely got some experience. But as you know, one year is not very much. You know, it, mm, it's you right, can develop right. a couple of relationships, but it's really not enough to sustain you and get you to the next level, to get you another job at another major label or even another major indie. So I was like, oh, God, here I am in New York, unemployed. What the hell am I going to do? So everyone was like, oh, you're going back to Atlanta, right? I was like, hell no, I'm in New York. I'm staying in New York. I'm going to figure right, this out. Right. So I ended up getting a job. I, you know, I kind of took the first job that was offered to me because I was scared, first of all, of living without a paycheck. You know, I had severance of six weeks. That's all they'd give you for mm -hmm. one year's work. I got about six weeks of severance. I think I collected unemployment at the time. It lasted about three, three months. And yeah, so I was panicked a little bit. So I basically took that first gig. And that first gig was... An independent label, totally unheard of, you know, going from a major company to an unheard of label. It's called Zero Hour. And I basically had to build uh, the PR department and just basically build their whole profile from scratch because they had no profile. Wow. And they were brand new. They'd been around maybe six months. So, yeah, it was very challenging, but I took the challenge and I basically put Zero Hour Records on the map. I was there from 1995 
end of 1994 to about 1999. We created uh, Zero Hour, put it on the map as one of the hottest independent record companies in the, um, <clears throat> in the US, basically, competing with some of the best of them. And uh, we ended up getting a deal with uh, Rising Tide Universal, which was the same guy that hired me, Daniel Glass, who brought me to EMI Chrysalis to begin with. I stayed in touch with him for all those years after they let me go. Right, right. And he ended up doing a deal with me. It's, that's, how, that's how relationships are really important, staying in touch yeah, with people, def- cultivating those relationships. Yep. I ended up getting Daniel Glass, after he partnered with Doug Morris and Rising Tide, I ended up getting them to believe in our company and put in several millions of dollars to hmm. a joint venture uh, with Rising Tide and Zero Hour, which was incredible because it ended up sustaining us. I ended up getting a bigger salary. And with that said, my boss basically said, you know, you're the golden child. Whatever it is you want to do, I'll let you do. So I said to him, you know what I want to do? I want to start a hip-hop label. I desperately hmm. would love to sign hip-hop acts because that was from all my days of hip-hop in Atlanta with the right, hip-hop right. show that I did with, the, you know, and the party promoting where I was on the cusp of all these hip hop parties and all these hip hop celebrities who weren't celebrities at the time, but became celebrities. Um, so he allowed me to start a record company. I called it three, two, one, three, two, one, zero hour. And the first hip hop artists I signed were black Alicious, black Alicious. Um, and then another artist called uh, scheme team uh, went out to Minneapolis to help to sign an atmosphere, which went on to sell millions of records um, even Black Alicious ended up getting a deal with MCA after that and sold millions of records as well. So, yeah, we had an amazing time with 321. Um, I was wearing many hats. I was doing A&R. I was doing marketing. I was doing PR. I was doing branding. I was doing tour marketing. I basically wow. was running the company. Um, and I was able to have a small staff because we definitely had some budgets to work with. So I hired right. a retail marketing person. I hired a, an assistant I hired, you know, some radio folks and I actually hired some other PR people as well. And we really built that label up and had tremendous success. And then, uh, unfortunately, the plug was pulled. The funding was pulled from uh, Rising Tide. I guess they went, the owner went through the $6 million. Don't ask me how. It wasn't <laughs> given to 321's money. It was on the rock side. They weren't doing as well as the hip hop side. And uh, Daniel Glass, they ended up pulling the plug. And once again, had nowhere to go. I was going from, you know, up high, doing really, really well to, uh, you know, traveling everywhere, Mid-Am and all these other amazing places and doing conferences and doing masterclasses to suddenly being out of business again. Um, So I ended up... uh, Peaks and valleys. (laughs) Oh, yeah, loads loads of those. But that's that's the career that anybody has in the music industry. The entertainment business is filled with peaks... You know, highs and lows, peaks and valleys all the time. Lots of failures, success stories, and failed failed stories as well. Um, but the key to all of that is just bouncing back, reinventing yourself and bouncing back. And so I did that with a new company called Subverse, which I found um, a guy who was at Bear Stearns, and he actually invested about another million dollars into my company. And I ended up uh, partnering with another MC from Company Flow called Big Just. And he and I were signing artists and the Bear Stearns guy was plugging in all the money and doing the operations and the, you know, marketing and overall expense of the, um, of the company. 
and keeping us afloat, getting us a, a mm-hmm. um, you know, um, a business and a place to operate out of office space and budgets to travel, budgets to sign. So that was really, really great. So we ended up getting an office in Tribeca and then 9-11 wow. happened. So I lost my business again because we were two blocks wow. from the World Trade Center. Um, so again, you know, ups and downs of the business. But I had a really great run with uh, Subburst because I signed MF Doom, who became a wow. seminal underground, huge mm-hmm. hip-hop, um, you know, powerhouse. And uh, and then I had other artists on that as well. We ended up doing a deal with Black Alicious with MCA through Subverse. We had other artists on the bill, um, on the roster that were doing well as well. So, I mean, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of great things happening. But uh, after 9-11, the plug was pulled. And I ended up uh, taking a bit of a break because after 9-11, living in New York, it was a very difficult time. Kind of yeah, almost what we're going great. through now. You know, this this uh, world pandemic right. is kind yep. of very much like what happened to New Yorkers with 9-11, although this is much bigger and much harder yeah, to deal global, with and, so, yeah. and way more lives at stake that have been lost. But it's still very much like, you know, taking a pause, kind of resetting and figuring out what to do next, which is where I am today, which is where I was after 9-11 in uh, wow. October 2001. So... I had to regroup and it took about a year or so to regroup, to reset, to reevaluate, to reflect. And while I was regrouping, I was trying to send resumes out, trying to figure out where I'm going next. Had so much experience in marketing in PR in you know, promotion in building companies as an entrepreneur. So there was a lot of value that I could bring to the table, but I thought, exactly. well, why am I going to bring somebody else, my value and my skill sets and my talents when I should really just start my own, my own, 100%, my own, no partners right now, just start my own entity. And thus the Bloom Effect was born. And we fast forward mm. to today, you know, uh, several years later, the Bloom Effect is thriving. It's a one-stop shop offering, you know, the same things that I was doing with the marketing and, uh, you know, A&R and scouting and curating, doing PR with the record labels, the same thing I'm doing here with the bloom with the bloom effect except obviously it's not a record company it's not a music company so it's a full-on agency and my clients are anyone from record companies to management companies to you know event companies to artists directly and um yeah it's a great uh i've been able to build this up really really well i'm multi-genre because of my background doing rock and hip-hop and roots and americana and jazz and classical (laughs) so if you look at my roster with the bloom effect it's really it's everything it's everything i've got the zombies an iconic 60s band to an iconic funk band tower of power to an electronic synth band from glasgow called simple minds to you know a blind singer songwriter called raul midon who's two-time grammy nominated to you know yeah exactly so there's just a lot of amazing artists, great talent that I'm working with. And I do, you know, consulting with events and I'm doing uh, event production. And I'm also partnered with a company that's producing um, a music conference. It's called Mondo. So there's so many things that I'm doing. Um, and now that we are resetting again with COVID-19, I'm kind of reevaluating, mm-hmm. well, where is the Bloom Effect going after this? So it's constantly reinventing, constantly rebuilding and constantly reflecting on um, the climate and the landscape as things are constantly changing. Well, you, you've, uh, I mean, that's, that's a lot (laughs) 
that you just brought brought us uh, yes. into, uh, and it's wonderful. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's amazing to to hear um, your, your resiliency and uh, the the way you've handled um, these situations and always come out on top. So I, I have no doubt <laughs> that you're going to come out on top from this current situation. Um, but uh, there's a, uh, I mean, there's like a whole host of questions I have. Um, but but you've uh, you answered uh, one of them, which was probably my last question was how does one become a publicist? And we see that you got to have all these other experiences and um, connections and and awarenesses to basically uh, handle that job. But I want to sort of back up because um, you've worn so many different hats uh, in the industry, um, and you know just just seeing things from all these different perspectives. And uh, when just talking about your publicist role, um, what what is what does a publicist do? Because I think the the listeners uh, we've we've had one other publicist on our podcast, but I think it, it'd be great for our listeners to understand what that role is. Yeah, and I just want to back up for just a second here. I didn't do this the conventional way. I mean, there's no real rules or exactly. you know um, the A to Z of how to do PR or how to get into the business even. You know, the easiest tried and and tested way that has worked is obviously internships, right? But as you can see, I never did an internship. Right. And and this is the very unorthodox, very unconventional way of me getting into this business. I don't necessarily recommend it. I I, I do feel like most (laughs) people should do the internship if they can and or enroll in, you know, a business course, music business. Take, you know, back then we didn't have music business. Right. I mean, I studied music, but it was classical music. You know, when I, when I was in university, I took a bachelor of music. It's a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. It was a performance level. I don't think even back then we had the opportunity to do a music business course. All these years later, students have amazing opportunities to do music business, to do music, you know, you, this, you know, international music business. I mean, there's so many yep. variables and, and, um, different opportunities at the education level that is um, open to people now that we never had back then in the 90s or late 80s. So I just wanted to preface that. So I didn't do the internship. PR fell on my lap, as you can see. It completely accidentally fell on my lap because I started in the career as a DJ, as a DJ on the radio and as a party promoter. I didn't know PR. Even at EMI, I was not doing PR. I was doing marketing. But the beauty of marketing is, this is why I've always worn many hats, because marketing allows you the opportunity to use all your hats, to create um, and, and get knowledge in all the different cogs on the wheel. Because marketing allows you to understand how retail works, to understand how the street and organic approach and micro works, micro marketing works. Right. It allows you to understand what PR is and how PR works and how, you know, branding works and how management has, you know, their, um, what their um, access is to, you know, the ecosystem in the music business and how agents operate and how touring works and video and digital. So that's the beauty of doing marketing and understanding marketing. And the reason PR fell on my lap was like I said, I lost the job at EMI. I lost the marketing job. And you sort of go fight or flight, right? Um, right I fought right. to get the first job possible. 
And that job was an opening at this independent label as a publicist. I wasn't, I hadn't done PR, but I had the gift of gab. I can talk, you know, walk the walk, talk the talk and wasn't dishonest with my boss, but I went into that interview very confident. I went into Mm -hmm. that interview saying, I don't have PR experience, but I am great with public relations, public relations. I am great with communications. I am great with getting messages across. I understand how PR operates. I understand the process of what PR is. And I just give me that chance. I will prove to you that I will do it and I will do it well. And I basically sold him. And that's how I became a publicist. So here I am as that publicist. And what does that entail? That entails having great relationships. PR is all about relationships. However, everything in the music industry and everything in entertainment is about having great relationships. But the beauty about PR is having those great relationships with the media, whether it be a journalist, whether it be a producer, whether it be, you know, um, a talent booker who's booking a TV show, whether it's the associate editor at a magazine or an online, Hmm. you know, web portal or a stringer, freelance writer, you've got to build or a syndicated radio host or a syndicated radio, you know, music director. You've got to have relationships at every level of all those mediums, because all those mediums, be it TV, radio, you know, web, you know, digital, social, podcasting, mobile, blogs, you've got to have relationships at every single level. And when you have those relationships, you have to know how to keep them and develop them and build them and cultivate them. And so that's one part of PR. And then the other part is presenting with those relationships presenting the message of everything that you're pitching, whether you're pitching an album or whether you're pitching a single campaign or whether you're pitching a tour or whether you're pitching just an artist's message. Like let's say they've created a a foundation or they're using activism and they want to launch, Mm -hmm. you know, um, they want to launch a a new organization to help artists dealing with COVID-19 you have to see what that is and then create, you know, and articulate the message around whatever it is they're trying to promote. Uh, and that's creating that press release and customizing it to whatever that is that you want to do to get that message out to all right. your media. So that's basically right. what PR is. It's the relationships and the messaging and the storytelling to create the most powerful story that ends up being you know, pitched and promoted and in turn, hopefully placed and secured by way of getting results in the feature article, the interview, the Q&A, you know, the getting you, you know, the artist on the radio, artist being booked on Ari Melba's Fall Back Friday, you know, right, right, uh, right. Seth Meyers, you know, Sirius XM volume, whatever that is. Pitchfork Radio, you know, this show we're talking on, you just, you know, it starts with the press release, that becomes the pitch, then it's all about the follow-up, then it's about creating, you know, uh, compelling reasons for the media to want to secure, you know, the interview or place you or put you on their show, you know, confirm 
the the opportunity. Why should they have the you artists. on their show? Basically, why yeah. should they have you on their show? So publicity is yeah. so many prongs. It's 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 not even it's it's uh it's twofold. It's tenfold. It's it's yep. so many variants yes. that make that make PR and that make a good publicist because there's so many publicists out there and there's some publicists that are mediocre and there's loads of publicists that can't produce results because there's so much noise and there's so much clutter and there's, you know, so many filters. And, um, so how, so, you know, so yeah, so let's, yeah. let's drill down on that. Cause I, I there's a, there's some key points that you're bringing up in terms of PR marketing and, and, and just the role of the publicist today. Um, with the, of course, with the advent of social media, um, uh, and people will will say, well, why why do I need a publicist when I can just basically advertise on Facebook and get me a bunch of Instagram influencers, and uh, and then 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 I can build my following. Um, so uh, how, how does how does how has the publicist role changed in this climate of social media, and uh, and and base and also uh, if you can add to that, um, how how do you provide metrics? Because that's what people when, who use Facebook and all these things they can say. Oh, I got, I have data. I got metrics on why, uh, on how many people I've reached, um, how many people have engaged my post, and all these other things. How, how does a, a publicist um, uh, g- give s- certain information and data and metrics? And also, yeah. h- how has your role changed in this this current climate of social media? Yeah, the role has changed unequivocally. I mean, it's just. A totally different paradigm now. Um, it used to be that all artists and labels really cared about was getting, you know, a Rolling Stone feature or, you know, getting on the hottest blog or getting that New York Times album review or, you know, getting uh, on KCRW. So what's happening now is it seems like clients don't care as much about that and really care more about getting 100,000 Instagram followers and how they can get right. more traction with Spotify streams and how they can get that playlist you know new music right. friday or the chill out playlist on apple or you know that they, they care more about that now than they do about getting feature articles but a lot of artists are still smart about doing both you can't discount one yes. or the other i mean obviously everybody wants social media and everybody wants the traction and the you know the fans and the streaming and the numbers to multiply but at the same time pr and 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 publicity and having the media is still extremely important because even if we may not realize that Rolling Stone equates to what it used to, you know, I'm not going to say that a Rolling Stone feature is going to get you millions of views because maybe it's only 150 people even share that Rolling Stone feature on Facebook, or maybe only 25 people even tweeted it out. But the point is you're building a portfolio. Those feature articles are URLs that end up being case studies that end up being, you know, uh, things that you sell to booking agents. You know, you you compile all the promo, all the promo that you have, all the amazing articles. Those end up being valuable as um, case studies and as you know, posts on your website because people then see and read through all this great press, and then sponsors might want to come on board because of all the press that's been behind it, or radio right. might be more. Um, open to adding your single because of all the press behind it. And they feel like, well, maybe the press is going to help drive radio as well. And radio helps drive, you know, media. So it all kind of one hand washes the other. It all kind of helps build the profile together. 
And even media is going to help drive social media because media, the stuff that you're getting, you know, whether it's a small, you know, pancakes and whiskey or, you know, ear milk does a premiere, all of the stuff that you're ending up getting as PR for the artist is driving your socials as well because whoever's on right. your social media team needs content to even share exactly. on socials yes. because you want to be able to have that content that Air Milk's premiered your video or, you know, Pitchfork or the Talk House or whoever it is. You, you want to be able to share that content on all their socials as well because you don't want to just say, oh, here's my new Spotify, you know, here's the Spotify link to the new video, the link to the, my new single, look at this, look at that. You, that's not the best way to engage with your audience. You want to engage in the most yeah. organic possible way. So if you're sharing content that people want to read, that's a great way to get more views. It's a great way, great, get, great way to get more streams, great way to get more, you know, follows, more, uh, you know, um, Instagram likes. It's just, you need it all. Like, right. honestly, the landscape's changed where it's maybe not as important, but I feel like you need to have PR now more than ever. You need social media, you need yeah. PR, you need Spotify, you need playlisting. You, you still, you need it all. You still need to have PR. Artists and labels are still smart enough, most of them, to still engage publicists for campaigns. It's very rare that they're, that they're bypassing publicists and saying, we don't need you anymore. We mm -hmm. just want to hire advertisers for Facebook, or we just want to hire, you know, a, a plugger to do syncs or somebody just to do playlisting it's not most people are still smart saying we need it all and if they don't have the budget for all they're still gonna want to have some kind of pr nobody right. said we're not using publicists we're, we're not in danger of losing our job yet um <laughs> traditional pr yes traditional <laughs> pr yes people aren't i mean and especially now there's no real tour marketing like for me i was doing a lot of tour press right so now right, that there's right. no touring and there may in the foreseeable future, there may not be touring ah, till 2021. Who knows? It's right. not looking good. Let's just say that people that are saying, Oh yeah, festivals are going to happen in September, maybe October. I personally don't think that's true. I personally think the large gatherings and that's, you know, more than three, 400 people mm -hmm. in my opinion. I mean, maybe it's 2000, but in my opinion is still 300 or 400 people is a large gathering. Those things are not going to exist. A lot of my clients have audiences of more than three, 400 people. Some of them have audiences yep. of 2,000 people per city. Some are 200 to 300. My opinion is those touring, those tour opportunities will not happen. Now, some of my artists are in a bubble. They're in denial. They feel like September's looking good. I don't think it will. I don't think touring's going to happen until 2021. Yeah. That's my, that's my honest opinion. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. So I'm not going to be getting paid. I'm not going to be getting those tour gigs anymore. And, you know, I will lose some of that business, but, and now I have to be more creative with other revenue streams. So what can I do to create more business, do more digital stuff, get more savvy with right. technology and learn, understand how to operate more zooms and Google hangouts and do Instagram takeovers and do Facebook live and Instagram lives and, do webinars and tell these artists, you know, hire me and I can engage you and give you, uh, you know, webinars or consulting on how to do these live streams more effectively. So I'm learning as I go because I didn't know all of this two years ago and nobody's teaching me well, the ropes necessarily. I'm taking my own tutorials. I'm learning from <laughs> others, 
trial and error and um, seeing what works and what doesn't. It's the wild, if, wild if, west, if basically. You, if you've shown anything <laughs> throughout your career, it's resiliency <laughs> and uh, and resourcefulness. So um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, this, is, uh, this is invaluable information, especially at this time. And I hope uh, our listeners are, are, are taking notes on this because, um, you know, what Fiona's talking about is, is basically adapting to your currently, your constantly changing environment, being able to address issues as they're happening and not just being reactionary, just being, you know, being proactive in, in what you're doing and, and finding solutions instead of bemoaning problems. So uh, that's, she's, she's hitting a nail on the head. Um, with everything that she she's giving you, and I hope you all are taking notes on that. Uh, yeah, this is uh, this is amazing information, and and just your your story is amazing. Um, how you've been able to to come out on top of a lot of challenging uh, situations, but um, yeah, as as we know, our time gets limited here on Zoom, and uh, and then with our uh, our podcast. So um, yeah, we. We want to also give you the opportunity for for people to tell people what you're currently working on and uh, how people can reach out to you. Sure, yeah. Um, so I'm currently working on getting as many digital concerts uh, as possible for my clients, whether those are you know just via Stage It or live streams in their you know living room via their own Instagram channel or YouTube streams or partnering with a more viable company that has obviously more eyeballs, you know, like an American songwriter or Relics or Vibe or Bands in Town. Just anybody that has a stronger bandwidth and a little bit more influence than just, you know, my artists with their own followers. Um, So I'm helping, you know, get the digital streams together. I'm here for all my artists with, uh, you know, any kind of consultations, you know, we're in um, crisis mode. Obviously, most of my artists are 90% of their revenue stream is touring. So a lot of them mm-hmm. are very freaked out still trying to figure out how to keep the momentum going, how to stay engaged with their fans and how to, you know, build upon what they have. You know, do they put out new music during this time? And if they do, should it be a more conscious, uh, you know, environmentally aware, you know, crisis type, you know, response, or is it just business as usual? So I'm just here to provide basically, you know, uh, a, a sound, you know, sound advice and and uh, bouncing back ideas for them, uh, or soundboarding ideas, gotcha. um, and then obviously doing as much digital marketing that I can, coming up with cool ideas to keep the exposure up. The visibility, you know, I've also got, like I said, the conference that I do every year called Mondo, which is usually in New York in October. We're figuring out if that's going to be virtual or if we will have it physical. And if it is a physical space conference, it's probably going to have to be 50% capacity of what it usually is. You know, we're, every, right. again, this is all changing day to day, you know, changing day to day. And then the other things that I'm doing is I'm curating playlists because there is some time on my hands to get creative. So I'm using Apple to curate playlists, which I'm having fun with. Um, That gives me a bit more A&R from what I used to do back in the day when I owned record companies and when I was promoting and curating events. So this gives me that flexibility and creativity uh, and to uh, stay in touch with the influencers uh, and um, and yep. discover new artists, which is what I love to do. And then I'm also going to start a podcast, 
That's another idea that I've wanted to do for a long time. I'm going to uh, launch my own podcast. And now's the time more than ever to write my book, my journey, because I've been wanting to write a book. You know, I've got so many amazing stories that people don't know. People don't know that I that I was the first to do so many things. You know, one of the first in the music industry to use Twitter. I was the first to go on the MySpace bus. I was the first to do um, hip hop at South by Southwest. I was the first to, you know, discover atmosphere. I was the first to bring Fat Joe to Atlanta. You know, I was the first to do so many things. Outcast, you know, I'm special thanked on their album. There's just so many things I've done that nobody knows that anything about, you know, I, that uh, owning record companies over the years and selling millions Mm -hmm. of records. And so I've got a book. I've got a book of chapters of things that I can't wait to uh, write. They're all in my head. I'm starting to write them down and I'll shop it to a literary agent. And hopefully in 21, 22, you will see the fruits of my labor in writing and authoring. (laughs) So as far as where to reach me, I'm pretty much very accessible. The website is www.thebloomeffect.com, T-H-E-B-L-O-O-M-E-F-F-E-C-T.com. On Twitter, it's at Fiona Bloom. On Instagram, it's at Fiona Bloom and at The Bloom Effect. On Facebook, it's at The Bloom Effect. It's Facebook, uh, uh, Fiona Bloom. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, you know, on Shazam. I've got an Apple playlist. You can find me there. Um, I'm on SoundCloud. I mean, literally, uh, you name it, I'm on pretty much every platform out there. And um, as far as, you know, reaching me on email, it's just Fiona at thebloomeffect.com. And spelled out again at the T-H-E-B-L-O-O-M-E-F-F-E-C-T.com. So you can't not find me. Luckily, there's only one Fiona Bloom. There's really, seriously, there's only one Fiona Bloom. If you do a Google search on Fiona Bloom, pretty much it's me that comes up, only me. And if you do a search on, you know, music publicists, um, Uh I come up pretty quickly there too on the search engine. So you already got your SEO taken care of. (laughs) Pretty much so, yeah. I'm really, when I say I'm easy to find, I mean it. That's great. Perfect. Well, we, we thank you for coming on our podcast and, uh, and, sure. and giving your, your words of wisdom and, and insights. And uh, yeah, this, this has been great for me and I, I really appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, William. And uh, have a great, uh, great day, great rest of your week. And uh, let's just hope that uh, the rest of 2020, we start to uh, regroup, rebuild, reset and bring back our economy. That's right. Time to plan and rebuild. All right. Yes. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. If you would like to join our new artist development program, the 3MB Club, please contact us via email at 3mbpodcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your podcast player and leave us a rating and review. Also, please leave us a comment on our Facebook or Instagram page. And if you would like to contact us about a specific topic, you can email us at 3mbpodcast at gmail.com.